Good morning to all of you. I uh, really enjoyed that um, lesson on numerology. So, lots of numbers that um, are a little non-specific, aren't they? Even infinity is a, it's a big number, but it's not really a number, is it? It's a concept. Because otherwise, you know, could you have half of infinity or twice infinity? I struggled with when I was a boy, and fortunately I've gotten beyond that, and I just don't think about it anymore. So this morning, I want to share on meekness. So I told them down at chapel last time that I was going to preach on the fruit of the Spirit one at a time, and I was going to start at the end, because those are the ones that people don't talk about as much. So you all probably heard about love, joy, and peace a lot, and you know, if I ever get there... Um, I'll try to share on this, but um, I shared on temperance here, and so we're going to move on to meekness, a gentle life under God's control. And some people say that meekness means strength under God's control, and, and maybe that's a, maybe that's an okay definition, but I think it overestimates who we are. It's not that we're so strong, it's that we're under God's control, and that we choose to be gentle in whatever situations we find ourselves in. Um, and sometimes it's because we don't have the ability to do much, and sometimes it's because we have that ability and we choose not to. Um, but when we think about meekness, I think in our minds we think about um, things like wimpy, cowardly, unwilling to stand up for anything, and that's really not uh, that's really not what meekness is all about at all. It's important to know that meekness is not simply choosing not to care about anything. So, I've been around some people who just don't seem to get ruffled by much, but I, I didn't really think that they cared about much either. So, you know, if you don't care about anything, of course you don't get stirred up a whole lot. Um, but if you care deeply about it, then you start getting upset when somebody starts um, um, messing with that thing that you care about. Um, in my mind, uh, as I just started going down this path, I, I thought of my to myself of a huge dog that will let a, dog, a child hug on it and play on it and climb on it, and, you know, if it just gets too much, it just sort of starts to walk away. It doesn't bite, it doesn't snarl or growl or anything like that. Or a draft horse that will do anything that its master asks it to do, even though the, the person uh, controlling it is much smaller than itself. So meekness is almost more about how we do things um, as it is about what we do. Although it's both. You know, I don't, I don't think a meek person is going to um, gonna do certain things, and we'll kind of touch on that. Um, and maybe it's helpful as well to think about what the opposite of meekness is. So I think a lot of people would say the opposite of meekness is pride. Um, and maybe, maybe that's a little bit true, um, but pride... It's more the opposite of humility. These are words that, that we use a lot, and they're sort of interchangeable. Um, but to me, the opposite of meekness is uncontrolled anger. Um, and, and maybe just anger in general. So, and the picture in my mind was Nebuchadnezzar um, with, the, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, and them not bowing to his idol, and, and just, you know, how angry he was at them, and how angry he was at God through that. And, um, and he was not being used there. So, we know it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And I, I had asked my children if, um, if they knew what the, um, the next fruit of the Spirit was that we were going to talk about. They heard the last sermon. And they, um, uh, one of them said he was, so was going to be on um, long speaking. So we'll try, not to, we'll try not to cover that one this morning. Uh, so, what's the first person that you think of when you think of meekness in the Bible? Moses. That's right. Because it says about um, Moses that he was the meekest man. Let's, uh, let's look at Numbers chapter 12. Um, and this is, a, this is a story that maybe... Um, Maybe you all have heard of. Um, but this is one where Miriam and Aaron were not behaving as they should. We're going to read the first nine verses of Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. But he had married a Cushite woman. So this, um, you know, Moses had, um, had been a sojourner and the land of Midian, and he married a woman who was not a Jewish woman. And so they, um, they were pretty upset. Not, not a good thing. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, and to Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And that's what you don't want to hear God say to you. Um, um, you and you and you, I want to talk to you at the tent. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood outside the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there was a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. And if this, and I speak to him with his reign, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in my, all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Mo, servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he, that is the Lord, departed. And so we have a situation here where Aaron and Miriam, who were older siblings of Moses, and that's kind of tough whenever you're the older brother or sister of somebody who's more famous than you are, and, um, you know, or smarter, or, you know, whatever it is, they're, they're just better than you at something. You know, I, I was never as good at basketball as my younger brother. Uh, and it was, a, it was a challenge. I chose often not to play basketball rather than to look worse than them. Um, but anyway, Aaron um, and Miriam thought they were pretty good. God had spoken to them too, and, and he had. They were important. Yeah. And they were older than Moses. And you know when you're older, that just gives you like a little extra seniority. And they thought that the people in the in Israel were honoring Moses just a little too much it was good for him and good for the, the people. And so they, they didn't do anything about it, really. They just talked about it. 
talked about in kind of That if you walked up on, they'd probably get quiet really fast. Because they knew that what they were saying wasn't kind and it wasn't right. And they also felt pretty true to them, and so here they are going on. Did Moses know what was going on? Well, I think he probably did. Um, otherwise, verse 3, where it talks about Moses' meekness, doesn't make much sense. So if Moses was just oblivious and he had absolutely no idea that people were going off about him, um, then, you know, this, um, this, this passage wouldn't make much sense. But what we find is that God took offense. God said, my relationship with Moses is different from yours, um, that is, Miriam and Aaron's relationship with me, and you need to understand that. Um, and so then, I'm not going to read the second part of this, but Miriam was struck with leprosy as punishment. And here we see an example of Moses' meekness, because Moses goes to God and he pleads with God, heal her. Moses is asking, saying, I forgive her, God, will you forgive her too? And I wonder sometimes how easy that is for us in our spirit to say, I forgive that person, God, please do not hold this against us. We find another place in Exodus chapter 32, um, 32 through 35, where Moses also went to God and pled for the people and said, God, forgive this people. They aren't. They aren't the wonderful people. They've got all kinds of issues. But forgive them. Our human tendency is not only to defend ourselves aggressively, it's to take up offenses for other people. And this ought not to have its place in the church. Second person I think of, and this isn't really a person, um, well, he's a person, but Jesus. Um, so Jesus, of course, is our perfect example in everything. Um, and I'm going to read this whole passage a little bit later on. But in Matthew 11, 28-30, Jesus specifically says, I am meek and lowly in heart. And once again, we know that Jesus felt things. He felt things really deeply. Um, we remember the story of him and the money changers and, um, and other times when he got really angry at the Pharisees. But he did not get upset over personal attacks. What he got upset over was people twisting the sanctity of his father's house, twisting the law, making it difficult for people, and not showing love. When he was on the cross, we know that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And once again, we find this spirit of forgiveness, and I think that's really important. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, this is probably the, the verse that everybody thinks of when they think of meekness. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I was just really rolling this around in my brain. What does this mean? What does it mean to, to be meek in this context? And, and what does it mean to inherit the earth? Um, it seems like a big thing, right? You know, inheriting the earth. I mean, if somebody told you you're going to inherit, you know, let's say, um, a thousand acres, 
you think, wow, a thousand acres, that's a lot. And this is saying that you're going to inherit the earth of your roots. Um, and yet, I think that the Beatitudes, if we look down through them, are about people given things that they lack or that they willingly give up for Jesus. And so meekness is about willingly giving up what I could have. And God says, as a reward, I will give you the earth. And I think that some of so some of the second part of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining what he means by sinners like blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the meek. This is Jesus saying when you are meek, you will love your enemies. When you are meek, you will heal rifts with your brother. You will choose to speak kindly to him even whenever he is just not so great a person. When you are pure of heart, you will not commit adultery in your mind as well as in your body. God rewards those who are not focused on themselves. And I don't know what this earth is, but I think it has something to do with the new earth. But I think it also has something to do with the current, uh, the current earth as well. And I, I don't understand that fully. Um, but maybe it also ties in with the verse from Matthew 18, verse 3, where Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children. And I, I would see that as a form of meekness. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So why should we be meek? Um, so... We're just going to run down a few reasons. Um, we've already touched on one. Um, so it's commanded in Scripture. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't say that if you follow the Spirit, you, this says that if sorry, it, this says that if you follow the Spirit, you cannot help but be me. Okay. Um, so if there's something that comes out, it's going to be in uh, a spirit of meekness. Um, and I suppose, like I have an apple tree that just says share, but I've shared um, with you all. It's, it, um, it bears like two or three apples every year. And I always pray that it would do better, and it just, it just doesn't. Um, and it's probably my fault somehow, but anyway, I'm going to blame the apple tree. But regardless, when it bears fruit, it bears apples. It, it can't bear something other than that. And when we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, we do not have a choice. If we are child, children of God, um, we have to bear apples because we're an apple tree. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also to you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And so often meekness appears in a list, and we focus on all the other things in the list. Um, but meekness is important too. So it's commanded in Scripture. Second thing is there are rewards offered. Um, and we already uh, read the verse, Matthew 5 5, um, Psalm 37 11 echoes this, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So here, the rewards of being meek are the earth and peace. Third thing is we will reach more for the kingdom when we put on meekness. Or evangelism works better when you are meek. 
First Corinthians 10, verse 1, Now I call myself to teach you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and based among you, but being absent and bold toward you. And in um, First Corinthians 9, there's another passage where he talks a little bit about this concept, although I don't think he uses the word meek. Uh, so, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them under the that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak, and made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. It's a long passage, but Paul is saying that he is willing to be a servant and weaker than he is, so that he might win people to the gospel. And I, you know, there's, there's people who think that the best way to re- reach others for the gospel is to stand on a street corner and just yell at them. And just call at them. Sometimes really kind of mean things. But this is, you know, God working through them to, um, to reach the lost. You know, Terry Fine that say some really, really mean things. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're trying to attract Flies, you do better with honey than vinegar, right? I mean, you put a jar of vinegar out, and you're, you're probably not going to get many flies. Um, and so, I hope that as we think about the ways in which we reach the lost for Christ, we understand that us putting on meekness makes a difference. So let's move on to meekness and practice. What does this look like in our everyday walk of life? And we're going to touch on maybe five different things here. Um, and then this is nothing new. You all know all this stuff. Um, and maybe some of you have got this mastered in, so that's a blessing. Um, the first thing is slow to anger and never angry because of offenses against ourselves. So we should be slow to anger and never angry because somebody attacks us. James 1, 19 through 20 says, But let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Proverbs 19, 12, King's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Proverbs 14, 29, Who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 1, as a soft answer turns away wrath and harsh words stir up anger. And as I was just kind of researching this, I, I read a little story about a man um, who was a minister. He was walking home with his son, and they met another man on the way. And after they passed, and the son asked the father what he thought of the man they passed, and he said, He's a good man. And his son said, But I thought that that man hated you. The minister said, yes, but you asked me what I thought of him, not what he thought of me. 
And there have been many times that I've been upset by people. There, there's never been a time that I've responded in anger where I was happy with myself afterwards. And my perception is that uh, Yoders don't get upset either. But I, I'm sure Yoders are people too, and that they, they struggle at times um, with this kind of thing. Maybe, um, well, anyway, we'll let that go. Walden struggle a lot with this. And, and um, I know a lady who had, who had a really hard relationship with her mother. Her mother was not kind to her over a series of years. She said some really, really hurtful things to her. And at the end of her life, this woman was unable to care for herself anymore. And the daughter moved in and did everything she could to take care of this mother who didn't deserve it, who had been unkind. And it wasn't that she wasn't hurt by the things that her mother said to her. She remembered them. I don't know that her mother asked for forgiveness. But she chose to be slow to anger and to forgive. How can we be slow to anger? Well, I think the first thing is we need to be self-aware. We need to realize when anger is starting inside of us. Um, the second thing is attempt to step away from situations to de-escalate situations that could lead to anger. And then the third thing is deal quickly with it. If we are slow to get angry, we need to deal quickly when we realize that we are angry. Go to the person if possible. Be quick to forgive. And so that's the second thing. Meekness means forgiveness. In the real world, we forgive. Mark 11.25 says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At 7.59, as they were suddenly speaking, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And one of the hardest things to do in life is to forgive others, but I also think this is a critical aspect of being meek. Someone who is meek does not carry grudges. So who do we have to forgive? The only people we have to forgive are those that Jesus died for. That's it. Anybody else, you don't have to forgive. But if you died for them, you do. I wanted to read a little story from Corey Tendum. You've all probably heard this story before, but I just really, I don't know, as I was reading through, it spoke to me. And so, anyway, you all can listen in here. It was in church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I just spoke and moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land, and I gave it to them, my favorite mental picture. 
Maybe because he has never fallen far from the Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I say God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions about their talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and a brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush, a huge room with its sparse overhead lights, a pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking made it past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp against the parchment skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, where we were set. Now he was in front of me, his hands thrust out, a fine message bound line. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so grisly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than to take that hand. He could not remember me, of course. How could he remember one person when there thousands of women? But I remembered him, and the leather whip swinging from his belt. For the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my pastors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raven's book in your talk, you say. I was regarding that. No, he did not remember me. Since that time in my thought, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out. May he forgive you. And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. That's the died in that place. Could he erase the slow, terrible death for the asking? It could not have been. It's been many seconds that I stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do that. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who bring it up. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. He supplied the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the place. Stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing had to place. The crunch started in my throat and raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being. Bringing tears to my eyes, I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And I'll stop thinking there. There's more to that. But that speaks to me. I have never forgiven something that was that deep. It wasn't that Corey Tenbrun didn't care. She cared deeply, and she'd lost her sister in that camp. It was only by God's grace she hadn't died there herself. And yet God who called her to forgive. And the point of meekness is not that we cease to care about the past. We will care a lot. It is that we choose to love in spite of it. We choose not to bring it up. We choose to release our feelings of anger and a desire for vengeance against someone. Third thing here, so we 
see forgiveness, um, patience, and adversity. Romans 8.25 says that if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Psalm 37, 7 through 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Here again we see a similar phrase, inherit the land. But the key is understanding who it is that we're waiting on. We're waiting on God. Not on somebody else, not on some human. James 5, 7 through 11 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And this passage indicates that there are a couple of examples of patience. Um, one is the farmer. So um, the farmer plants. And then has to wait, right? And then do a lot while he's waiting. I mean, if you just put the seeds in the ground and you never do anything else, you might not have a good crop. But if you weed and you till and you fertilize and you do all the things that you're supposed to, eventually you may have a harvest. Um, there's uh, books about frog and toad. Some of you all may have read them. They are not long books, um, but they are interesting books. And um, Frogs give toad some seeds to plant, and toad uh, does all kinds of things, um, and he thinks that he's done something that scares the seeds, so they're just not going to come up. They're just, they're just done for. And he goes out and he uh, reads some stories, and he plays with tuba to them, and does some different things, and, and eventually they come up, and it's probably not because toad did any of those things, um, but that waiting is hard. Um, and the second thing, so farmers wait, uh, we are waiting on the second coming. Once again, this is something that will come in the fullness of time. But that is God's time, not our time. And the final thing that we see in this passage is that patience is firmness under duress. The prophets suffered much, but they held true to their message. Um, so it must be with us. And patience is a really difficult thing for most of us to learn. When we're children, we sit in the back seat and we say, are we there yet? Um, and as we get older, we do a little better at that because I think our sense of time is a little better and we wear watches or we have cell phones that tell us uh, how we're progressing. But our concept of time is different from God's concept. So, and yet sometimes... Waiting is difficult. If you tell somebody that you're going to meet them at the school at 11 o'clock sharp, how long is it if you have to wait before you're texting them to see where they're at? 
necessarily very wrong. If we didn't have cell phones, we, we would just do, right? I mean, I'd see before. Um, and I think that just speaks maybe to our level of patience, but my, my patience isn't always the best. I'm sure you as a, at this moment. Um, but the second thing is not just our sense of time, but also a lack of trust on our part. Do we really believe that all things work together for good to them that are called according to His purpose? Do we believe that all the evil in this world cannot really do a single thing to destroy God's plan for His people? So, fourth thing that I think meekness is respecting authority even when they don't seem to deserve it. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And I would focus not so much here on the obedience, but on the honoring part. Parents aren't perfect. Um, we know this, but we're still called on to honor them even as we get older. In Acts chapter 23, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike them on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know my brother to be with my priest, for it is written, you should not speak evil of the ruler of your people. And I don't think Paul was particularly meek. You see that in his initial response. But at the same time, I think he wanted to have respect for those in authority over him. And when he found out that he was speaking to somebody who was the high priest, he took it back. And if we read the stories of the martyrs, it wasn't that they chose to, um, to recant, to, to leave their faith. But at the same time, when they spoke, they always spoke to the authorities who were just wrong. They were wrong. They spoke to them with respect. And the final thing is that we are gentle with those weaker than ourselves. First Thessalonians 2, 5 through 7. But for we never seem with words of flattery as we know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands of the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's a real tendency in this world, and even in the church, to believe that might makes right. Paul had the ability to use the people in the churches that he worked in to get money or position from them. Um, he chose a different path. Many times in modern translations, the word meek is translated gentle. And I don't think it's just at all that meekness is, but I do think it's important for that to be a part of it, that we are gentle with others who could not protect themselves from us. Let's wrap this up. Um, I was kind of thinking about different stories, different things to kind of bring this to a conclusion. And for whatever reason, my mind went to George Whitfield. And um, 
George Whitfield was one of the early drivers of the Methodist movement. So when you think of Methodist, um, you may not, you may think of, I don't know what you think of, but anyway, um, you may think of the Wesleys. The Wesleys are the, the most famous people, John and Charles Wesley. Um, but George Whitfield actually was one of the main drivers of the growth of the Methodist church. Um, John Wesley traveled to Georgia. He left George Whitfield in charge of the Oxford Methodist. And George Whitfield felt called to go out and preach to the coal miners. And he went out and he preached. He had no, he had no podium, he had no microphone, nothing. He just preached his heart out. And people came in droves. And when John Wesley came back from Georgia, the churches were filled to capacity where they had not been before. And this was a blessing. But then there was a division that came. And this division came because John and Charles Wesley were Arminians. Um, which, anyway, I'm not going to explain this. And George Whitfield was a Calvinist. Um, and when George Whitfield traveled on a mission trip to Georgia, on his return, he wrote that many of his spiritual children will neither hear, see, nor give me the least assistance. Yes, some of them send threatening letters that God will speedily destroy me. And this is because of this difference of opinion. They just, they, they wanted to see George Whitfield go away and never come back again. Uh, because of his terrible Calvinist belief. And in 1749, George Whitfield laid down any responsibility in the Methodist Church in an attempt to heal this rift. An itinerant pastor is what I will become, he wrote, and cheerfully took up a traveling role, preaching in Scotland, Ireland, and the colonies of the New World. In 1770, Near to when he died, he gave John and Charles Wesley both a ring in token of my indissoluble union with them in heart and Christian affection, notwithstanding our difference in judgment about certain points of doctrine. And he also asked John to preach his funeral sermon. And I think we know a little bit more about John and Charles Wesley today. Um, and, you know, I probably be a little bit more of their perspective as far as doctrinal issues. But I was really touched by the spirit of meekness that George Whitfield was willing to show in this, what must have been a very difficult time. And too often the church is filled with people who are pushing for their own point of view, pushing for leadership positions. Jesus made it clear that this was not his way. So often we are in a position where we can get even and make other people squirm who have made us feel badly in the past. And Jesus made it clear that we're not to take that path either. We had to follow our master's path. The one that led him to serve, to minister to others with gentleness and to forgive, even when others don't deserve it. And so as we come to a conclusion here, I want us to ask ourselves a few questions. And I've asked myself these questions as well. Am I willing to truly forgive others who have done me wrong? Am I willing to let others think that they are right? Even when my heart Am I willing to serve without being noticed? Am I slow to take up offenses for other people and quick to encourage peacemaking? Am I willing to suffer offense without responding in anger? 
And how long do I have to wait before I begin to get frustrated with the person making me wait? Matthew 11, 28-30, we touched on this earlier. It says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Part of the reason that we can trust Jesus with our lives and our souls is because of His gentleness. He is far greater than we are and has the power to hurt us, and yet He chooses not to. For some reason, my mind went to the subject of dentists. Who would you rather go to see? A dentist who is uh, a name for being gentle or one who um, has a, a name for enjoying um, inflicting pain on people. The challenge for us is to show this aspect of Jesus to others through our action and behavior. Let it be said of us that we are meek and lowly in heart. Let it be said of us that we are meek like our master.